0: to be here this morning it is sad that we are not all together Uh, as much as we like to try and and make this as accessible for you as possible the the truth is that this is pretty weird it's weird that half the chairs are missing over here and that none of them are set up back there because they're cleaning the chairs It's weird that there are so few people here this morning, and yet it's not because we don't praise the name of the Lord well. It's not because we uh, don't appreciate what's happening here. It's because we've been asked to stay home because of a virus. And so it's weird, and it's hard. And so it's hard to preach to mostly an empty room, which is why I asked the praise team to stay here, and so I could have some faces, uh, you know, something I grabbed that, uh, up here that, that I don't normally bring up here with me is actually my directory, uh, because I want to be able to, while you all can see me and I can't see you, I want to be able to glance at your faces as I am thinking about you all, as, as we are preaching God's word together, um, because I think that's actually re- really important as we, as we think of our body together. Uh, and so if you uh, have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to Exodus chapter 17, You know, as you you guys are doing that, Rob last week talked about, he he mentioned a little bit of a trust fall, and he kind of stole my thunder, but I decided to keep it anyway. Uh, Have you guys ever uh, had those trust exercises that were meant to build up group unity? Okay, so that's an actual picture of a group, and I'm in in the green shirt on there. Uh, This is an actual group that I was leading, this college group at a church in Colorado, and we're at this leader's retreat. Okay, We had these different exercises we had to do. Uh, blindfold one person and another person had to, to give them directions for where to go and get something. Okay, We had this other trust exercise where we would fall backwards off of a deck railing and the rest of us were supposed to catch that person. Okay, So the guy in the yellow shirt up there, that's, his name was Matt, um, he did it first and we caught him and it was good. Everything was great. Uh, the first couple people that went backwards off that deck railing uh, we're okay. And then my friend Heath was up next. Uh, he came quickly. Um, our arms weren't locked tight enough. And so just kind of like a Red Rover game, he split through our arms and onto the ground. Uh, it was rough. Uh, for everyone but Heath, we had great trust in one another. Uh, Heath, Heath eventually did too. It just took a little bit longer. Uh, what, what does God do to build trust in our lives. What are experiences that are designed, at least in part, for our trust in God to grow? Well, this morning, God is moving Israel step by step by his word, teaching them to trust him every single day. And we'll see how God does this uh, instructively for us that's helpful for us as we trust in him in our daily lives every day also. And we're going to see that in Exodus chapter 17. And here's where we are. We've been week after week, we've been plowing through the book of Exodus and and we've been reading the greatest story in the entire Old Testament. Uh, Israel has been released from slavery to Egypt by the mighty hand and outstretched arm of God whose love endures forever that we've been singing about. And God has displayed his power, showing that there is no one like Yahweh in the entire universe. And so Israel is now on their way to meet with God and become his people through covenant. And so we have been studying a verse for our verse series, uh, where we have just a couple weeks this week and next week where we are memorizing it. I'm not going to pretend that I'm going to hear everyone reciting it, but let's all say it together. Exodus 6, verse 7 says this, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. What great hope there is in that verse. Let's pray. Lord, we ask this morning that you, by your Spirit, would attend to The preaching of your word that everything that is profitable would land and stick in our hearts and lord anything that might be unprofitable would just blow away like chaff in the wind and lord that you would help us through exodus 17 to trust you more each day and we pray this in christ's name amen well i like to give everyone an idea of where we're headed this morning so that you can follow along uh there's nothing worse than trying to listen to a speech or an essay and have no idea what's going on, right? Uh, A sermon's a little bit different than that, but I still want to give you what I think the author's big idea, what Moses' big idea of Exodus 17 is about, and here's what I think it is. Our provision comes through God's sacrifice to bring about God's praises and our active trust in him. So run to Christ. That's what I want us to take away from this morning is that our provision comes through God's sacrifice to bring about God's praises and our active trust in him. So we need to run to Christ this morning. And we're going to look at that in kind of two ways, uh, especially since Austin has already read through Exodus 17. We're not going to do that again, but we are going to be referencing it throughout. So we're going to look at this first part. A stricken God in the first seven verses. And we're going to look at our banner, verses 8 through 16. Well, let's look at a stricken God in verses 1 to 7. So I don't know if you all went to college or university. I went to the University of Northern Colorado. I don't know what you studied. I studied music and psychology. Uh, I don't think Israel had that type of college education but they did have another type of university experience. They had wilderness university. Charles Spurgeon called what Israel learned in the wilderness as the Oxford and Cambridge of God's students. Israel was learning to trust God. See, the Red Sea wasn't yesterday. It had been just under three months at this point from the time Israel was rescued from Egypt. But from the moment that they left Egypt to this point, Israel moved and they had their being from God's direction. In verse verse 1 of chapter 17, it's clear that Israel didn't camp at Rephidim because Israel thought it was wise, but because of God's command. Israel was led by God through the wilderness every step of the way. They moved when they received the command from the Lord. They literally were moving according to God's word. They didn't continue if the Lord did not direct them. I think that's good for us to let that sink in our hearts and minds. God had led them directly to a place where there was no drinkable water and another testing of faith. Christians, do you realize that we are called to live by every word that comes from God? Consider just for a moment how important this initial faith training is. Israel is fresh from slavery. They had to learn what it looks like to trust God. Just like a newborn takes time before they can eat solid foods, before they're walking, before they're running. But yet each step is important. Some of the initial learning by Israel is to live according to God's command. In fact, that's what Israel is supposed to do for their entire existence in bigger and bigger ways as time goes on. In fact, that's exactly what the Christian life looks like. The Christian life isn't checking in with God whenever it's convenient or catching up because you know it's been a while. The Christian life is a life centered on God's word and daily following him. Do you remember the wilderness time of of Jesus right after he was baptized? The Spirit of God had led him into the wilderness where Jesus had fasted for 40 days, and he is tempted by Satan, and Jesus is hungry, and Satan tempts Jesus to turn those stones into bread, knowing full well that Jesus could do that. And do you guys remember Jesus' response? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Really, Jesus threw Maslow's hierarchy of needs out of the window, and he says that the first thing people need besides food and air, literally Jesus is saying more than food, he had to live by every word that came from God. Isn't that our very problem with temptation? We fail to live by every word that comes from God in his word because we doubt and we question and so therefore we then we sin. A wise method, I think, of following God when before we make major life decisions, who we date, who we marry, where we're gonna live, what we're gonna do for a profession, we start asking ourselves, what does wisdom from God's word have for me in this situation? The more I think we do that, the more I think we actually do begin to live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Israel only moved at the beginning when commanded by God. What a, what a beautiful picture of learning to trust, I think that is. God moved Israel step by step. God led them to Rephidim, a place without water, And we look at it now, and we see how God is not abandoning them, but in the thick of it, Israel doesn't see it. God led them again to a place where Israel needed to exercise trust. So Israel's obedience was a a one-time obedience that was setting up many more opportunities of obedience. Because obedience with food would lead to more growth and following and obedience to God in other ways. See, one act of obedience doesn't put God's people on the plateau where obedience is no longer needed, but actually where more trust is grown day after day. See, building trust is hard. It's stretching. It's scary. Uh, Not everyone is trustworthy, right? Trust is one of the major parts that got ruined in the fall of the Garden of Eden, The first temptation was to doubt God's word and God's love, which was a violation of trust. Israel had to learn how to lean and trust on God. Maybe you're tuning in this morning and you have wanted to check out a service for a while but but have been nervous about coming to an actual church. And so maybe you are tuning in this morning and you're not actually even a Christian. I actually believe that everyone trusts in something. I wonder who or what it is, my friend, that you trust in. Christians trust in the God of the Bible because there is no one more faithful than God. There's nothing on this earth more trustworthy than God. When we put our trust in people, they'll let us down. When we put all of our hope in our spouse and they do something to disappoint you, that's why a lot of hurts happen in marriages. When we put our trust in our finances, we do not know what tomorrow will bring. The last week has been evidence of that. Putting trust in ourselves when we don't even know how many people have COVID-19 right now. Right? It can take 14 days to incubate. People who were not expecting to die have died in 2020. But with God, God has kept his word and never broken it. That's one reason why we can trust God. And so if you are finding that the things that you placed your trust in in this life are failing you, well, then come to the Lord who is always faithful. There was no water. And so Israel began to quarrel with Moses. There was a potential mutiny on Moses' hands. And Moses wasn't silent. He he didn't just let this go. Uh, He connected his role in leading the people with God himself. And so the quarreling with Moses was a testing of the Lord that displayed a lack of trust in God's leading them. But that didn't stop them from arguing, did it? They started to accuse Moses of creating a plan to kill them, to kill their children, to kill their livestock they accused him of. What do we know to be true of God for Israel? That God had always provided for their needs. God provided during the plagues. God provided at the Red Sea, God provided with the bitter water, God provided with the manna, God provided with the quail, and Israel was refusing to wait for God's timing to take care of them. And so instead, finding no drinkable water, and having learned that their prior grumblings had gotten results, they launched into another grumbling episode, another grumbling scene, and so they started testing God. The wilderness experience was not necessary for Israel's salvation, but it was necessary for their sanctification, for them to grow in their trust of God. And so Moses did what every good leader and godly leader does in these situations. He cried out to the Lord. I've had my own share of difficulties as a pastor in my day. I'm certain they're not over, Uh, but thankfully, unlike Jesus and Moses, Uh, no one has tried to stone me yet. Uh, It had gotten so bad with Israel, they were literally ready to stone Moses in verse four. Brothers and sisters, be a Christian who in the midst of trials and difficult circumstances says, God, help me to continue to trust you and do what is right in your eyes. Because we know that not all testing is a sin. God had appropriate testing of Abraham's faith with his son Isaac. God tested Israel's faith in Exodus 15. That was a good thing. It is our testing of God that is what's actually wrong. How could God's trustworthiness be in doubt and in need of testing, right? God has always been faithful and loyal. Testing God always involves, therefore, a, a degree of doubt, about whether our current circumstances are bigger than God's ability to work. Testing God means putting God to the proof, seeking to find a way where God can be coerced to act or to show himself. It's to force God's hand, to set him up concretely to see if God really was there or not. And so that's what they were trying to figure out. Verse 7 says as much. Is the Lord among us or not, they were asking. I wonder if you've ever tested God. God, if you're there, why don't you show yourself? God, if you're there, why won't you fix this problem? Have you realized the problem with trying to test God, brothers and sisters? See, we make our belief in God contingent upon a demonstration that we decide is therefore appropriate. It is attempting to turn our faith into sight right now. And that's exactly what Satan wants us to do. That is exactly what Satan tempted Jesus to do in Jesus' wilderness temptation. If Jesus had thrown himself off of that temple, he'd be forcing God's hand, seeking to demonstrate God's presence and power to make sure that not even a foot would slip and fall for Jesus. But God does not need to be tested because God has already demonstrated the depths of his love for us. That's what Paul writes about in in Romans 5. He says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We have now been justified by his blood much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of god friends the good news that we proclaim is that we have been saved from god's punishment of our rebellion through the death of jesus which is way bigger than throwing a fleece to god or testing him in any other way in fact if you are hearing this message you do not need to doubt god's love for his people We simply need to receive it by trusting in him alone. Do you see God talking about this very idea to Moses here in our passage? See, instead of the anger of God being kindled against Israel for grumbling, really, the strangest and and most delightful picture is given to them, right? Moses was to take some of the elders, the leaders of Israel, they were to go to the rock where Moses was to take his staff and he was to strike it and water would come out. But but did you notice what happens to God at Horeb here? If you're reading the, the NIV, you're actually totally missing the imagery that's going on. Almost every translation translates God as being on or upon the rock that Moses is to strike. Moses was to take his staff and to strike the rock that God was upon, literally to strike where God was so that life-giving water would come to Israel. God is in front of Moses on the rock where Moses was to strike. Instead of God's anger being kindled against Israel for their grumbling, we see a picture of God being stricken, and life-given sustenance is given to his people. God's provision this time was a little bit different. He still gave water, but not through some magic log or dew on a grass or quail mysteriously running into the land. To make Israel certain that he is with them, and to help them begin that life comes from God and God alone, God called Moses to strike God himself on the rock for life-giving water. This isn't just Brian seeing this, by the way, okay? This is coming from the New Testament. Think of what is written in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 to 4. It says this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. And then get this, th- this, is, this is awesome. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. We would miss The point of this passage, if we only thought that God was providing for our daily needs. Do you see the connection to what Jesus said of himself in the New Testament? When Moses should have punished Israel for their grumbling against God, he struck God who was on the rock instead. Jesus said to that woman on the well, if you drink from this well, you'll be thirsty again but if you drink the water I give, it will well up into eternal life because Jesus is the water that we need to live through his own death for us. So the call for us is to see this example and to run to Christ, not to desire evil. The call for us is to run to the cross of Christ, not to grumble, wondering whether God is with us or not. In fact, that's what Paul said just two verses down in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6. Right after he says, and the rock was Christ, he says, Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. And so this water from the rock is meant to draw us to Christ, to desire him, not to rebel against him. Our provision comes through God's sacrifice to bring about God's praises and our active trust in him. Well, let's look at this second part of our passage of Exodus 17 verses 8 through 16. Our banner. And so in the wilderness, there were these treats of water and these food as well uh, as as blessing from God. But we also see that there were threats going on, right? They were threatened with starvation, threatened with dying, dying of thirst. And now we see a threat from an enemy. Pharaoh may be dead, but Israel was not free from her enemies. But here deliverance doesn't take shape of crossing the Red Sea but of trusting God's leaders and actively being ready for defense. Amalek, out of nowhere it seems, came with the purpose of Israel's destruction. This isn't the only place that this is recorded. Um, Deuteronomy 25 is really helpful in this. It sheds light into the situation. Here's what Deuteronomy 25 verses 17 and 18 say. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you, and he did not fear God. And so at the point of supreme vulnerability, when Israel's future was hanging on the balance, it seemed like at any moment their feet would slip. Amalek tried to exterminate Israel. And while it's clear that Israel needed to select people to fight their course of battle wasn't determined solely by Israel's warriors right the work of Moses of her and of Aaron were significant here and yet what we see in this passage is that the victory ultimately is belonging to God the strangest thing happened when we read this right when Moses held his hands up Israel was winning Whenever Moses' arms got tired and he put his arms down, Israel was losing, right? It's hard to keep your arms up constantly. So Aaron and Hur uh, put rocks under Moses for him to sit. They held up Moses' hands on each side of Moses. And then Joshua, who was leading Israel's army, wins the battle. Isn't it a little weird that as long as Moses' staff and hands were up, that, that Israel was winning? Uh, what, what, a, what a bizarre description that's going on. Why is that significant? You know, some people think uh, it, it's a prayer gesture. Um, I don't see any mention of prayer here in the passage. Uh, some see it as, a, as the staff having magical properties. Uh, I think uh, to see the staff in the hand of Moses really was to see a living example of the hand of God. So I think that it was a symbol of the power and presence of God at work in the situation. Moses' staff was significant in the plagues. It was significant in the crossing of the Red Sea. And so I think it holds significance here. It it assured the warriors not only of God's active hand in the battle, but also Moses' confidence that God was involved Look at verse 16 of of chapter 17. Moses says that the hand was upon the throne of the Lord. Moses was saying, when I held up the staff, I was symbolizing the presence of Yahweh right with us, sitting on his throne above us. Friends, we should know that God does not abandon his people In their battles but in fact God is with you in your battle against sin today don't you ever wonder if God's actually with you when we struggle against sin in our lives we battle today as Christians not against people but against the principalities of darkness but we don't do it alone God is with us in that he equips us ready for the battle right, with battle armor equipped with the word of God as our sword. We have a belt of truth. We have a breastplate of righteousness. We have a shield of faith so that we can endure the battles. Those are all gifts from God, by the way. Notice how even while Israel is at war, it is the Lord, in verse 16, that is doing battle with Amalek when we fight against our sinful nature and when we endure arrows from the evil one, God is fighting with us. We don't fight alone. We fight under the cross as our banner. So for example, think of pirate ships back in the day, right? The color of the sails let you know which side you were on. Okay, I used to have this sweet pirate ship Lego set. And I loved it because of the black sails and the crossbones, okay? So that's what I'm thinking of. That's what you should be thinking of. Pirates equals black sails and crossbones, okay? That was the banner which they fought under. Christians fight under the cross as our banner because the Christian life isn't a cruise ship. It is a warship it, it isn't about sipping my ties, it is about proclaiming the true king's rule over the fallen world and the king's banner that his kingdom will have no end. And so Moses holding his staff symbolized Yahweh's power that defeated Egypt and the call upon Israel to remember of God's deliverance. And so we live and we breathe under the banner that Jesus has defeated death, and will finally defeat all enemies. So Christian, don't give up fighting sin in your life because you think it just won't make a difference. God has not saved you for you to continue to live in sin, but instead to live in righteousness. That doesn't mean that we ignore sin. It means that we work all the more to rid it from our lives. So for example, the other day, I was grumpy. I was sinning in my grumpiness. And I was in a meeting place where we were reading God's word. And literally, as soon as I realized the passage that we were going to be reading, God's word of rebuke jumped off the off the page at me. Okay, we were actually going around this circle. There's like 40 guys in this thing, okay? And we're all taking turns reading one verse at a time. And I'm like, oh, come on, God, don't make me read this one verse. And I couldn't do the math far enough ahead. And literally, the very verse that he has me read is the very one that rebukes me in my sin. And so I remember reading that verse and thinking, oh, man, Brian, I hope you don't have to read that particular verse. And then wouldn't you know it of the one verse I had to read that literally that was the one that God was using to rebuke me. And it was God's kindness to tell me that God did not save me for me to live in sin, but to turn away from sin and to live in his righteousness. I was to work to rid it from my life. And so praise God, I'm trying to do that very thing still. So at the point of supreme vulnerability, when Israel's future was, ha- was hanging in the balance, when it seemed like at any moment their feet could slip and fall and Amalek tried to exterminate them, we see that Israel won and it was to go down in the history books as one where Israel, as, as winning because of what God had done for Israel. When people would recall that day, it would be God who was remembered. The Lord is their banner. The Lord is who they fight for. And so what did they do? They built an altar. Whenever an altar was built, it was to remember a significant blessing from God. So if you remember, uh, Noah, right? He had the big boat. He was in there for 40 days and 40 nights, which is a quarantine way harder than what we are experiencing right now, okay? He gets off the boat with his family and what is the first thing that they do? They build an altar to the Lord and worshiped him for the Lord's deliverance of them, for them being kept safe. And so Noah did that very thing. He built an an altar, remembering the significant blessing from God after coming out of the ark with his family. Abraham did the same thing in Genesis 12. They uh, They were for the worship of God as an expression of gratitude for God's blessing. And Moses then does the same thing here in chapter 17, verse 15, as an altar is being built for the worship of God and for their deliverance. The call upon Israel is to remember Yahweh's deliverance. And once again, Yahweh provided for his people, and he promised to continue to provide for them. And so because of Christ, the Lord is our banner. He is with us when we fight against our sinful desires. And so how encouraging to know that in our battles, Christ has won the war, that God is triumphant. I think that helps so much in our fight against sin because we're not alone. We fight under the banner of the cross of Christ. That's why we gather for worship whenever we are able to is because we, when we don't gather for worship, we are more likely to forget God's faithfulness. We are more likely to... To forget what he did for us last week or for the week before or even ultimately on the cross of Christ for us. And so we worship God, we gather together so that we are able to remember significant blessing from God. Our provision comes through God's sacrifice to bring about God's praises and to grow our active trust in him. And so the call for us today is to run to Christ. Not to grumble, not to desire evil, but to run to Christ who gives life-giving sustenance from himself. You know, unlike my group of college friends, God has never dropped his people when we trust in him. In fact, to ensure that we would never fall or be taken out of his hand, he has sacrificed himself to guarantee our deliverance to him for eternity. Praise be to God. Praise be to God who was stricken for us, stricken and afflicted for our salvation, who fights our battles with us, and it's called to be praised. It's called to be sought after. It's called to be trusted in. Because Christ has defeated death. Christ has defeated it to where there is no more sting. There is no victory in death. That's why we sing there is victory in Jesus. Because he has conquered sin and death for us. Praise be to God. Will it spend just a few moments responding to God. Even though you may be sitting at home and, and you don't have a stage where you could come and pray to, you are welcome to respond to God. In fact, it's our call to never hear God's word without responding to it. So let's respond to God right where we're at uh, for the next little bit, and then the band will then lead us in another song as we are concluding our service this morning. Let's respond to God, and then I'll close this in prayer. Father, forgive us when our wilderness university education from you, when, when in the midst of it we grumble just like Israel, when we doubt your care for us just like Israel, when we doubt your providing presence with us just like Israel. God, forgive us for not running to Christ, Knowing that He is who we need. God, we pray that we would see how Your provision of life for us comes through You being stricken, the rock that is Christ. Lord, we pray that you would help us to not grumble against you or doubt you, but Lord, would you help us to trust you so that we would not continue to live in sin, but that we would continue to walk in righteousness after Christ? God, would you help us to know that you did not save us for us to continue to willingly be slaves to our sin, but God, that you saved us to be transformed, to be your people and to be pictures of redemption to the world. And so, Lord, we ask, would you work in our lives in every good way as we trust you in every circumstance? Help us, Lord, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we hope that you are equipped this week by God's word and his spirit working in you to fight sin, to walk in true righteousness of god given to us through jesus's death and resurrection we hope that you are bold to live for christ and not to live in our sin and so we want to encourage you to be bold in your faith in displaying it to others uh, we actually have a a surprise event that's going on this next sunday that I'm gonna start unveiling for you guys. We're actually gonna be doing an outreach to New Concord uh, Village uh, this next Sunday, immediately following our service. Um, it's gonna be uh, a way where we are able to, to love our neighbor in a way that, that involves pizza, uh, hopefully Wally's pizza, and some other great stuff. And so uh, this is a call for us to, to not let our faith stay just ours, but to display it to the world because we believe we have a faithful and loving God. And so we encourage you actually, uh, we're going to be putting some videos and some information through email, through the group me that started. So if you haven't gotten on the group me, get on that thing. Uh, We're going to be emailing information out on how we can all take part in sharing the love of God to our neighbors this next Sunday following the service. And if you would like to help out with that, Please contact the church, and we'll get involved in helping make that happen. Well, friends, here, our benediction this morning from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 13, beginning in verse 20, says this. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Enjoy the rest of your Lord's day.